excited for this morning. I'm excited for what God's going to say to us. Um, I'm, I love when I got the notes through that this series was about relationship goals. I thought that's fantastic. It's so key to who we are. We're, we're made, you know, when Jesus was asked, you know, what's the most important thing? He answered, love God and love others. That's relationship. Love God and love others. And that's the thing. And so often we gloss over that and we, we focus on so many other things in church. And it's the, it's the foundation of who we are as Christians and who Jesus calls us to be as followers of him and as the church. And so to spend some weeks looking at relationship goals is, is really good. So I want to encourage you this morning and the weeks that follow to really lean in and to really listen to what God's saying to you specifically and um, the beauty of God's word and the, the beauty of how God uh, speaks is that he knows us. And yes, words are coming out to everybody at the same time, but God is doing something on the inside if we let him. And so I just want to start by praying and say, Father, we want to come to you with, with open hands and an open heart this morning. And we say, Holy Spirit, come. Would you do what you want to do this morning? Lord, would you take the preparation and the notes and the words? And Lord, would you give them eternal kingdom purpose? Lord, that we might grow in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we, we've got relationship goals. And um, this week, we're, we're looking at oneness with God. At oneness. And... That's quite a good word, just oneness. Um, and we're going to be focusing a lot on the heart because that's where it starts. You know, the heart is talked about a lot in the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed that, but the, the heart is talked about a lot. And often it, when it's talk, talking about the heart, it's referring to kind of our soul, our, our will, the choices we make, the decisions we make, and our emotions. And so it's kind of when we think of the heart, it's not that boom, 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 pumping heart. It's the, the thing that makes us us, the, the reason we make the decisions we make and the, the way we feel and those sorts of things. And so the heart is, is kind of the inner man it talks about in Corinthians or the inner woman, if we're going to cover everybody just in case you feel left out, or the inner child. Um, inner man, inner woman, it's our inner person. It's what makes us us. And Ezekiel, uh, the prophet Ezekiel back in the Old Testament, uh, referred to the heart quite a bit. And there's this verse in Ezekiel 36, uh, 26. And he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And he says it again just before, actually, in Ezekiel 11. He says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. It's a bit of a strange concept, kind of a heart of stone and a heart of flesh. Because when we read about flesh in the Bible, it's not always a good thing. I don't know if you've noticed that. In the Old Testament, flesh often means kind of weakness and frailty. In the New Testament, flesh, kind of your fleshly desires, often means sin and opposing God. And so this heart of flesh, you're like, well, it can't be a heart of weakness. It can't mean a heart of sin. Um, and what it means here, this, this word flesh, is kind of malleable and pliable and, and teachable, kind of responsive to God. And so rather than a stone, and you've got some, some stones down here, a heart, 
heart's going to kind of change that and shape it and mold it. It takes a lot to do that. Whereas a heart of flesh is a bit more, I'm hoping this works. I got these from Dan from Kids Church. We'll see. Years of entertaining children. So a heart of flesh is a bit more like this. It's a bit more kind of malleable and pliable. And you can squeeze it around a little bit and move it. And so when he's saying, I'm not giving, I'm taking your heart of stone that is just not movable or changeable. And there's a hardness to that, to a heart of flesh, which is something more kind of softer and pliable and responsive to God. So when God puts his finger on something, like when, when someone's speaking or you're reading the word and, and God, you just sense God's putting his finger on something you, and you can feel it and you respond to it. And there's a softness to our hearts. And so we're talking about kind of a softness of hearts. And in Ezekiel 11, when he says that, God's addressing his people, the Israelites, and he's promising one day to restore them to their land and to right relationship with God. And uh, he promises to gather the Hebrews from where they've been scattered and to give them this new undivided heart. And then receiving, the result of receiving that heart will be obedience to God and his commands. He says that in verse 20, he says, Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. There's a oneness that they will be my people and I will be their God. There's a connection there, a oneness there in this new heart. And someone who God has given a new heart to behaves differently. And you think, I was thinking about some examples and I thought of Saul uh, back in 1 Samuel 10. and, And God had chosen Saul to be the first king of Israel. And Saul was a nobody. But God chose him anyway, and the the prophet Samuel to anoint him as king. And he took a flask of oil and poured it over Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has the Lord, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? And Samuel made several predictions to prove that Saul to Saul that God had sent him. And in verse 9 it says, As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. And the new heart God gave Saul transformed him from a, from a nobody. I don't know if you feel like a nobody sometimes, just an average person, to the king of Israel. But not only was his, his status changed from nobody to king, but his entire outlook was transformed by the power of God. A new heart. Because our hearts, the human heart, I don't know if you know this, but we were designed, it was created to mirror God's own heart. You think back to Genesis 1 where you know, we were made in the image of God. Let us make man in our image. Our hearts are made to reflect and mirror God's. Our original design, and you know, for those of you who have been around Finding Freedom when we came before and, and did that with you guys, we talk a lot about our original design, who God designed us to be right back in the beginning. And our original design was to love him, to be in right relationship with him, love righteousness, and to walk in harmony with God. What Micah says, doesn't it? To walk in oneness with God. And that's our original design. I don't know if you feel every day like you're walking in oneness with God and that you are one with him. And that it's just free-flowing. He is my God and I am his people. 
And whether it feels like that, that we mirror his heart. Because the other part of God's design is free will. He gave our heart free will. And so we get to choose where we walk, with God or without. We get to choose uh, and make decisions about life. And we often have opportunities where we choose to abuse that free will and choose to turn from God. Like Adam and Eve back in Genesis. We aren't the first ones to turn from God. We choose our own desires rather than God's. Rather than choosing to love and serve him. And the thing is, when that happens, our, our soft hearts start to harden. And I was thinking about, um, who's seen Frozen? Have you seen the film Frozen? There's, yeah, there's a few of us. There's, she's a, an ice princess, ice queen, I guess she becomes. And uh, just when she, there's a moment in the first, I haven't seen the second movie yet. No spoilers, please. But there's, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a Frozen too. Um, and in the first movie, kind of when she's free to display her powers, Elsa, the Queen Elsa, she kind of let it go. And she kind of sends out this ice and everything hardens. Well, I can't go too far. And it hardens. And it feels like that when we kind of make a, a, a decision to turn from God or we make a decision um, that doesn't honor God or, or serve him or create oneness, we're almost sending out kind of this hardness, like... And there's a hardness that comes around our heart. And it's almost like a building a wall around our heart. And many of us have walls around our heart. And it becomes a heart of stone that Ezekiel was talking about. And a heart of stone finds it impossible to repent, to love God or to please him, like it says in Romans. And so we, we want to be at one with God. And yet we feel differently from that. I don't know if you've ever felt well, you found yourself in a place where you, you know you should be feeling something, but you don't. So in worship, you look around and everyone's feeling it. And they're all, oh, Jesus. And they're worshiping. And you know you should be feeling something, but you don't. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah. There's, a, there's something, there's a wall being built up between us and God. And sometimes that's something we've done something, it's something someone's done to us. And it's a bit like um, a callus. Do you know a callus? Uh, when hard skin, guitarists sometimes get them on their, their fingers, the hard skin comes over. It's a bit like a callus on our heart. There's a bit of kind of hardness that comes over it. It toughens the skin's exterior. That's what a callus does. And it numbs, um, numbs the feeling, numbs the physical sensation. It's like we, when we do that with our heart, we kind of put a callus around it. And so we kind of put something around it. And so it doesn't quite get to the heart of the matter. There's a, there's a, a hardness there. There's a numbness there. And so we find ourselves in situations where we know we should be feeling something, but we don't. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The Bible teaches time and time again that the condition of our heart is really important. 
that's really important. It determines how our life will turn out. Now, out of your heart flows the wellspring of life. And so we need to pay attention to it. So having a series where we're paying attention to the heart and our relationship with God and our relationship with one another is really important. Because maybe if we're someone who's got a lot of unresolved anger in our heart, then we're probably going to become an angry person and who does angry things, lashes out at people at those closest to us maybe, and, or hold grudges against people. And it's so simple to miss, oh, it's just the way I am. That's a lie. Your original design was to have a heart of flesh, to be at one with God, not to have a hardness. You're not just an angry person. You're not just that way. I'm just short-tempered with people. I just, I like things done the way they're done. No. It's great to like to get a job done, but the attitude with which we do it is really key. We need a softness of heart. And hardness of heart is, is a condition that, that people kind of on the other side of God develop. And you think of Pharaoh had it. Pharaoh had a hardness of heart. Israel did on occasion. And the Pharisees, they specialized in it. And so as I was thinking about my own heart and thinking about those guys, I thought, that is not good company to keep. I do not want to be in the company of the Pharisees. And so it is really hard to admit, and it's a bit vulnerable, to admit that we might struggle with a hardness of heart. But I think we all do. Because I think maybe it's just a byproduct of life here on, on our planet Earth, that we get hardened to certain things as well. It's like a doctor, um, like a trauma surgeon maybe, who, who sees trauma every day and pain every day. It's not as shocking to them as it is to you and I, because they see it every day. And so there are some things in life that we see every day that we become hardened to without realizing, just in the everyday. And there's stuff in our life, maybe it's our pain that we've become hardened to, because we're living with it every day. And there are a few signs, a few tests <laughs> that might show you have a bit of a hard heart. So one is we don't really, maybe don't really celebrate. You guys celebrate pretty well. But we don't really celebrate and we, we don't really cry. And maybe we might on the outside so you could even be stood at the, the front of church, you know, celebrating on the outside. But on the inside, you're not really feeling much. We're very good at, as humans at pretending everything's okay. Or mimicking, copying what's going on around. And go, oh, that's the thing that happens during worship. I'll just do this. But inside, there's, there's not a oneness with God. There's a hardness there. Now, sometimes, just as a, an aside, sometimes when you're not feeling it, you just need to force yourself to worship and, and cast off what's holding you back and worship. And in that moment, you encounter God and the Spirit will be at work. So I'm not saying if you don't feel it, don't do it. Don't just stand there miserable. I'm, always, I'm saying do engage, always engage, always, always push yourself to, 
to give your best to God and worship him, even when you're not feeling it. Because something about the posture of worship will change our hearts. Um, so just as that as a side. Another thing, maybe we just stop genuinely caring. I've had this one. I um, have been in church leadership for uh, five or six years now. Um, I've been on the leadership team. And in September, I took on the leadership of the, of the church. And I've had to really watch myself. Um, because there is something I just thought, oh, I can't be doing with that. <laughs> I just don't care. And I have to really watch myself. There are some things I've just, I have to make sure I'm still caring about everything that matters and not just the things that matter to me. This is another one that's tricky. Sometimes when we've got a hardness of heart, so much of what is supposed to be meaningful becomes mechanical. You're just going through the motions. So maybe that's reading scripture. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's work. But what's meant to be meaningful has just become kind of mechanical. I just go to work. It doesn't bring me life. I just sit down with my Bible because I know I'm meant to. I'm going to read 10 verses or a chapter. But it's not meaningful. It's just mechanics. There's no joy in it. There's no life in it. Another thing, passion is hard to come by when we've got a hardness of heart. To really get um, excited for what God's doing or for, for Menson and Sally to be excited for, for their wedding and for their marriage that's to come. And it's hard, passion is hard to come by. And another thing, sometimes we when we've got a hardness of heart, we struggle to believe the best in people. We think about what's going to go wrong rather than what's going to go right. Because we've hardened our hearts. Something has hurt us in the past or disappointed us in the past. And so rather than believe the best, we believe it's all going to go wrong. Lots of people I know overprotect their heart. It says guard your heart in scripture, but lots of people overprotect. Because we trusted someone once and that trust was broken. And so we've decided build a wall up. I'm not going to trust anyone because everyone's going to let me down. I'm going to stop trusting. I'm going to stop loving. I'm going to stop believing. And that kills our hearts. And we start to, it becomes the everyday and we start to not see it anymore and the hard heart becomes our new normal. Like the, like the trauma surgeon, it, we just become accustomed to it. It's our new normal. And so when we feel our heart becoming hard, when we're not feeling oneness with God, we're not feeling connected with God, when we're recognizing we're not engaging fully in life with other people, with work, with God, then we need to guard our hearts in that moment and take action then and there to pick that callus off before it becomes a big wall. Pick that callus off because underneath there, there is good flesh, soft flesh again. And so picking that callus off because underneath there, God's, God's wonderful life is, is still beating. So I want to ask of you this morning, how's your heart?
How's your heart? It says in the scripture, search my heart, O God. Because life happens, doesn't it? Life happens and life is tough and it can take unexpected turns and tragedy can strike at any time. Life doesn't always go as we, as we hoped or we planned. And so I know for me last year, two of my, my closest friends um, both were diagnosed with a rare form of breast cancer. My two closest friends. And that was really hard. That was hard not to be angry about cancer and the way so many people are getting it now. It was hard not to, not to get frustrated with the healthcare system at times or be disappointed in, in how their lives were turning out or to be angry at God and to make sure my heart stayed, stayed soft. I remember um, a friend of mine saying, you know, being a Christian, we need to have you know, skin like a rhino and heart like a baby. You need to have tough skin because life's, life's rough. You'd have tough skin but a soft heart. And that's kind of my, I've carried that through life. You know, I want to have tough skin so when people say something to me or life does something, it doesn't, it doesn't pierce my skin. It's like, ah, oh, I can take this. This is fine. And my heart stays soft. Soft towards God and soft towards others. But pain and trauma and disappointment and hurt and rejection and betrayal, they can interrupt our lives, interrupt our, play, our plans. And uh, it can change us. And it can change us for good or for bad. Because we have free will to choose how we react. And there's a statistic that people quote, and I don't think it's a real statistic, but I quote it anyway. It says, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond. So 10% of kind of life is, is what happens, but the 90% of your life is how you respond to what happens. So how you choose to respond. Am I, choo- am I choosing to keep my heart soft in this or am I hardening my heart in this? Am I choosing to turn to God in this or am I choosing to turn from God in this? Am I choosing to trust people or am I choosing to not believe in people anymore? Am I choosing to forgive or am I choosing to hold a grudge? 90% of life, maybe, but a big chunk of life is how we respond and the choices we make. And if we have soft hearts, we'll make good choices. A heart of flesh. We're responding to God. And it says in um, the message version of Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. That's where life starts. So people, you know, when people say, you know, I want a better life, I want, well, life starts with your heart. Starts with your heart. So guard your heart. You know, we know that Jesus came to give life and life in its fullness. In John 10, 10, I came to bring you life and life in its fullness. But it also says that the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the enemy is after our heart of flesh. He's after that softness. He's after our oneness with God, our unity with God, our relationship with God. And he's wanting to kind of put in that heart of stone. And again, from finding freedom, we know there are lots of things in life that can stop us from living that full life that Jesus has for us. And there's just a couple of uh, particular things I want to focus on this morning. And 
As I was praying about this morning and maybe some of the walls that we have built up or some of the hardness in some of our hearts that were the two things God said to me. And so I want you to be just really listening in to what God's saying to you. Because one thing, one area that I felt God said that people have built walls up and there's a hardness of heart is anger. It's anger. And when I think of anger, it makes me think of the verses from Ephesians 4, 26, 27. And it says, this is from the message version. It says, go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge. And don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. I don't know what makes you angry. I don't know if you happen to drive, whether it's someone cuts you up in the car. I don't know if it's when people are rude to you that makes you angry. I don't know if arrogant people make you angry. Those people who think they know all the answers, they make me a little bit angry. Um, I don't know what makes you angry. Uh, maybe it's your, your husband or your wife that makes you angry sometimes. Maybe it's because he always leaves his shoes in the wrong place. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's because she um, forgets to buy your favorite food. Yeah. Menson and Sally, I hope you're listening. It's no, very important things. Um, maybe it's your friends that sometimes make you angry, always forgetting to turn up when they said they would come. Um, maybe that's what makes you angry. Maybe your boss makes you angry. Maybe your boss makes you angry. Maybe the people you work with get you angry, get you riled up. Maybe it's the little things in life that make you angry. Or maybe it's the big things that make you angry. Maybe it's the poverty that you see or the child abuse you know about that makes you angry. And anger can be good. It says here, you know, you do well to be angry. Anger can be good. I don't know if you knew that. That might be a surprise to some of you. But anger can be good if it leads us to do Godly, righteous acts. So things, you know, when um, things like child abuse, let's say, when we when we see that and we hear about it, and it makes me angry. What can we do about that? How can we how can we connect with the right people to protect children? How can we do the right thing? How can we honor and value their lives because God made them and they are valuable in Jesus's sight? And how do we value them? That, that, when it makes me angry and it leads me to do good godly things, righteous things, anger can be good um, and it's, it's fine. And there are 15, about, about 15 verses, I haven't done a complete check, in the Bible where both anger and fire are in the same verse. Because in reality, anger is a lot like fire. It can be good. You can cook on it. It can warm you. Or it can be bad and cause destruction. So anger can be, can be like fire. And So what makes you angry? And then is it a good anger or a bad anger? But actually, the bigger question is, are you giving the devil a guest room? Are you giving the prince of darkness a, a guest room in your heart? And you might think that's an odd, odd phrasing, but when we look at Ephesians 4, 26, 27 again, it uses the word um, topos for the 
where it says, don't give the devil that kind of foothold in your life. And that word foothold, when it, in its original word, was topos. And it means an opportunity or a location, a place, very literally a room. And so don't give the devil that kind of guest room in your life, in your heart. Don't give him room. Don't give him space in your heart. Don't make up the bed for him and invite him in. Make a decision to, to not harden your heart in those moments of anger. And one of the most, the scripture's full of, of people who get angry at times. And one of the most obvious stories, I think, is between Cain and Abel. And they both brought their offerings to the Lord. And, and God accepted Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And Cain became very, very angry. That's the thing that made him angry. It made him angry. And he opened up the door to the evil one who, who came on the attack. And you can see what God says to him in Genesis 4, um, 6, 7. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And when we think about kind of the heart of stone and the heart of flesh, it's almost like the enemy is waiting on our every decision. He's crouching at the door. And when we, with our hearts, with our will, our emotions, when we're, we're making a decision about something, when we're choosing to how we're going to react to something, uh, when we're feeling something, is it, is it going to be a, a moment where we're, we're soft and we're, we're responsive to what God's doing in the situation and how he's leading us? Or is it, I just noticed there was a stone here. Or is it a moment where the enemy is going to slide a bit of hardness into our lives and we're going to give him a foothold, we're going to give him room in our life to be like Elsa, to start spreading that hardness and creating a hardness in our heart. I don't know for you whether you know that there's anger in your heart. Whether it's something that happened years and years ago that made you really angry and that you've never quite managed to let go of. But it's meant there's a hardness there in your heart. Or maybe you find you're just really quick to anger. In James it says everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And that is not how your life looks. You find you're quick to get angry. I want to say this morning, we've got an opportunity to come to God. Say, I recognize I, I have anger in my heart. I use the words, you know, I'm really angry about that or I hate this, I hate that. That's an indicator that you're carrying anger. It's hardening your heart. It's stopping that free flow of oneness between you and God. And there's an opportunity this morning to say to God, I recognize that. And I'm so sorry. And do you know the way to get over anger? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It may be that we need to forgive some people. 
It may be that we need to ask for forgiveness and receive that. And feel our hearts begin to soften again. The other thing that I felt God say some of us are really carrying in our hearts that is hardening our hearts and stopping us being at one with God is disappointment. That we're carrying around disappointment. Maybe in, in situations, disappointed in situations, disappointed in relationships, disappointed in expectations or dreams, disappointed with others, disappointed with God, disappointed with myself. Maybe you didn't get the job you wanted or you, somebody you loved let you down. Or whatever the circumstances, whatever you had expected, it didn't turn out that way. Maybe you look at life right now and go, wow, I never expected life to look like this. And you're disappointed. And it's painful. It's painful. If we let it fester and we don't deal with it, it will harden our hearts. And it can spiral us down into despair as well. And the Bible is full of disappointed people. Think of John, Moses, David, Jacob, Hannah. I think even Jesus experienced disappointment on, on different occasions and different levels, you know. He must have been disappointed. You know, we, we assume everyone said yes when he offered out the good news of the gospel. I don't think they did. He, the parable of the sower, some fell on deaf ears. They didn't receive the word. That must have been disappointing when you, the son of God, are preaching and people don't respond. That must be pretty tough. And then, so disappointment. A disappointment when you know, his own disciples didn't believe him. When he said he was going to do they didn't quite get it. He must have been so disappointed in them. Like, don't you get it yet? So disappointed. Disappointed when he encountered the Pharisees and their religious ways. That was skewing people's mindsets and his disappointment maybe when God didn't save him from the cross. And yet the thing about all those biblical characters and Jesus, they all overcame their disappointments. And we know Jesus overcame the greatest disappointment for us all. And you know, we will face disappointment again and again and again. Because like I said, life is tough. And we have hopes and dreams and expectations of people and of life. And it doesn't always turn out that way. I thought, when I was younger, I thought by the age of 24, I'd be married with kids. I'm 40 this year. I'm neither of those things. I could be super disappointed. I could let that really harden my heart. I could get really angry with God and say, God, why hasn't it happened? Why am I still single? Why don't I have kids? Why, why have you left me alone? I could, I could carry a bitterness and a disappointment if I let it. If I let it take root, if I gave the enemy a foothold, if I gave him a, a guest room in my life and allowed that hardness to come in. And yet I've learned how to, to deal with disappointment many years ago. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but learned to deal with disappointment in that particular area. That life hasn't turned out quite the way I expected. 
And so young people, life may not turn out as you expect. It's okay. God's got you. And the beauty of it is, no matter what our circumstances, if we are at one with God, if we are in good relationship with God, if we're walking in harmony with God, at one with him, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter. It genuinely doesn't. Whatever the world says you should have, God supplies even more of that. We don't lack any good thing when we have life with God. No good thing. Older people, life may not look the way you expected it to. It's okay. You lack no good thing if you're walking with God. Don't let the disappointments of the past, children who have gone wayward or children who have passed away, relationships that have broken, finances that have disappeared, don't let the disappointments of that harden your heart. Don't let the enemy have a foothold any longer. Keep our hearts soft. Because when something bad happens in life, it's not the time to blame God. It's the time to run to him. And be at one with him, to have that oneness in relationship. Yes, we mourn the disappointment and we release it to God. We adjust our expectations, but we keep moving. We keep moving. So I don't know if anger or or disappointment are two things that you recognize that maybe have hardened your heart. Or maybe it's something else. If you had to pick one thing that hardens your heart, what would that be? What would that be? But the beauty of it all, and the reason we gather and the reason we celebrate, is that when we say yes to Jesus, and we're born again, we're given a heart of flesh. Our heart of stone is removed and we're given a heart of flesh. And we need to guard that heart to, to keep it soft, to not allow it to harden. And I, I did a quick research and I found out that life after a heart transplant, a physical one, uh, there are three things you need to, to be aware of after a, li- a heart transplant. I don't know if anyone knows anyone who's had a heart transplant. I don't. Um, but three things that need to, you need to um, have the right medication so that your heart doesn't reject the new heart. Uh, you need to have exercise at the appropriate level. And uh, you need to have the right diet, a special diet. And I was thinking about the kind of our heart transplant from Jesus. He's given us a new heart. And these are re- three really good things um, that we should uh, be aware of that when we've received a new heart from Jesus, medication so we don't reject the new heart. How do we guard our heart? How do we feed our, give our heart the right thing so we don't reject the, right, reject the new heart of flesh, that we've been born again? And I think some of that is prayer. 
coming to God, spending time with him. The other thing, exercise. We need to exercise our good decisions. We need to exercise scripture. We need to exercise those things. And then diet. We need to feed ourselves on God. We need to feed ourselves in God. We need to worship anyway. We need to read our scripture anyway and feed our new heart of flesh. And so I want to encourage you this week. I know you're fasting, and I believe this week you're fasting and, fasting and focusing on the openness of God and being very real in prayer time and allowing God to move in the painful areas of our lives. And I want to encourage you this week to, in those times, to put those times aside as you, as you pray this week. To say, search my heart, God. Where's that hardness? Be really real with God. He knows anyway. He knows anyway. But talk to him about it. Say, do you know what? I find this really hard. I've got all this anger inside of me, or I've got all this disappointment, or all this bitterness, or all this pain, or all this whatever it is. Be real with God. And ask him to soften your heart again. Soften your heart again. We're going to um, worship in a moment, and just to finish, and I know the kids are coming um, as well. They're ready. But when we do Finding Freedom, we have uh, what we call the five R's. And it's when the first one is recognize, the second one is repent, the third one is receive, the fourth one is rebuke, and the fifth one is replace. And there's nothing magical, <laughs> there's nothing special about those five things. We just find they're a really helpful tool. And I think they're really helpful when we've seen there are obstacles and a hardness in our life. To say, you can keep the music playing, it's fine. Um, when we find that, that, to recognize that, the first one is, recognize, I recognize, Father, I recognize that there is a hardness in my heart. And I recognize that it's anger or disappointment, whatever it is. Be, just say it out loud to God. And then repent, repenting is just turning from that way towards God. So, God, I, I, I'm sorry for that. And I turn from that to you. And then receiving his forgiveness. Lord, I receive. And so often we, we rush over this. We repent and we don't receive. And God wants to, us to receive his forgiveness this morning. And then we rebuke the enemy. We say, enemy, no longer do you have a foothold in my life. You are kicked out of this house. You are out of the guest bedroom, off you go. And we say, no longer. And then we replace. And this morning we're going to replace in worship and we're going to sing um, the air I breathe again. And we're going to replace with the truth that we've been given a soft heart, a new heart, and that we can have oneness with God.